Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, we open this morning with Jesus doing what he's been doing for the last couple of weeks, and it's something that he does very well, which is telling stories. Uh, We call them parables, but they are stories. And his parables, his stories are well known both inside and outside of the church. No doubt many of us grew up with these stories, but even if you did not, to read any of them, to spend time with any of them, you catch glimpses of all the stories that have come after. All of our stories contain echoes of these stories. Why is that? Just coincidence? No, it's because these stories are not first and foremost about Jesus creating new and better stories for the sake of storytelling. Though I have to imagine, even as a child, Jesus enjoyed hearing the stories that his family, his friends, would tell around the fire. But Jesus isn't telling stories just for the sake of telling stories. Jesus' stories are an invitation to reimagine with God a better world. Jesus comes as many things. He comes as Savior, Messiah, comes as King, as friend, as healer. And he comes as a painter of sorts. His very self, his very being helps us to repaint our images of God, our images of self, our images of neighbor, our images, if we're willing, of all of creation. Which is partly why I have such a deep abiding love for poets, artists, storytellers, and children. It's a group. I'd group all those groups together. There's a holiness about each of those that is unique to the way in which they see and move through the world. Jesus loved children, and he was a craftsman. He was a storyteller. His ability to tell stories was not a unique superpower he walked around with. It was a gift of the spirit that would resurrect him from the grave and the same spirit that dwells within you and within me. But one of the dangers is that because his stories are familiar, there can become over time an unfamiliarity to them. Unfamiliarity not only with the story, but also with the storyteller and what Jesus is offering to us in these. And so the first thing I want to call our attention to this morning is why Jesus tells these stories, any of them. We've sat with three of these parables, three of these stories over the last week, and I think it's good from time to time to back off and go, why did he do it this way? And what I want to give to you this morning is that Jesus offers these stories as an act of hospitality and as an act of mercy. First, as an act of Mercy. Jesus tells these stories, for instance, to these religious leaders, not as a gotcha moment, though certainly there are times when that is the result. He doesn't even tell them these stories as a rebuke, though again, especially in this case, it will have that result. No, the reason why he tells these stories is because the instinctual heart of God that he embodies, that he has enfleshed, that he has given a local habitation and a name to is compassion. He cares deeply for these leaders. 
The same religious leaders that will scheme, that will turn crowds against him, that will convince Rome to crucify him. He loves them. He loves them. He loves them, and so he tells them stories. He speaks with them, and that is to say he loves all he speaks and interacts with, which is, again, to say, another layer, all of us. God is the God who speaks and is quite lively about what he has to say. And God has a people to speak to, to you and to me, to all who would listen. Because again, God's instinctual response to all of humanity is to speak, not shouting from the mountaintops, not shouting from the walls, but as a storyteller who has set up a home in the neighborhood, moving toward us, inviting us to welcome the divine trinity's life into our life, speaking words of healing, of life, of rescue, of mercy, and peace. Because friends, you and I are the ones who cap our hands around our ears and run away. Not because the door is shut. Not because God does not speak. But because of our own resistance, which comes for a myriad of reasons. Wounds, imperfections, sins, our own stories, our false images of the God who is Jesus. Jesus tells these stories as an act of mercy. He also tells these stories as an act of hospitality. To enter into someone's home, there is nothing quite like a hospitality that lets you know that you were expected. To walk in and you can just see, maybe it's something small, but there's something about what you walk into that lets you know that you were expected. A hospitality that points to things as they are, that offers you a glimpse of what it is to enter and stay. And this is one of the reasons why I love good stories. It's one of the reasons why I think we all love good stories, why we love novels, TV shows, songs, movies, is because good stories at their best are hospitable. They welcome us in, and in their welcoming, they help us to see something true and good and beautiful about ourselves, about the world, about our neighbors, and about God. Which is why the church for since its very beginning has said that anything good, true, and beautiful belongs to God. Not like in a white knuckle way, but it reflects God's image, who God is, the instinctual heart of God. Whether it's a psalm or a a novel that Reese Witherspoon puts on our top 10. She's still doing that? I don't know if she's still doing that. No, no. Hi, Molly, I don't know why I looked at you. You were reading a book today, I don't know. But good stories welcome us in. Whether through a hospitable word, a hospitable story, a song, a line of poetry, helps us again at its best to help us reimagine and see the world differently. A few years ago, I was actually offered such a line. And it was from a familiar story to me. I was taking a class on poetry with a poet that I deeply love. And in the first class, we sought to answer the question, it's a good starting place, what is poetry? And most of us, our answers were structural. They were very technical. They were anything but beautiful. They were true. There was no beauty to what it was we were saying. And the poet did not pull the poem apart to, sh- to show us 
but rather what he did was invite us to experience poetry as a way to answer. And most of us, if you don't like poetry, I could almost guarantee that one of the reasons why is because somewhere along the line, you had an English teacher that dissected it past the point of beauty. Just bludgeoned the goodness and beauty of poetry and lines. It's something we can do to scripture and God. Dissect it past the point of mystery. But that's for another time. And so in this class to define poetry, the poet borrowed a few lines from Shakespeare's A Midsummer's Night Dream. Lines in which the character Theseus is going to lament the pointlessness of poetry. That is a fool errant. And in doing that, gives what I think is a beautiful definition, not only for poetry. For me, it has reframed the incarnation, Mary's consent, her role in it. And it reframes why Jesus tells stories. Listen to what Theseus says. The poet's eye in fine frenzy rolling doth glance from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. And as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing a local habitation, and a name. Such tricks hath strong imagination that if it would but apprehend some joy, it comprehends some bringer of that joy. A form of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes, to airy nothing, and gives a local habitation and a name. Poets and storytellers musicians, artists, children, stand-up comedians, you name it, have a way of helping us see and know what was partly unknown. At their best, they are giving form to something that would have been unknown, but even in giving form, they allow space for mystery because it cannot be fully known, but it is grasped and comprehended and apprehended just a little bit more. And I would argue this is what Jesus is doing in his stories. In the Greek, the root word for parable means to throw down alongside another. These are not just pretty stories that are easy to remember that are intended to move us. They are helping us imagine and reimagine a mystery, a boundless mystery that remains boundless. Beloved, every time Jesus tells a story, every time, no matter how many times you've heard it, there is an invitation to walk through the door of Jesus' story and what you find in walking through is anything but an empty home. Those things that are so often dismissed as airy nothing live here. And so the first invitation to us this morning is to walk again and again and again through the door. And what you will find on the other side of that door is a familiar friend. Every time you walk in, it can be fresh, it can be familiar. Because in the coming of Jesus, that inaugurating act of God's kingdom, what is being revealed is not a new God or a new kingdom. The religious leaders think it's new. It's one of the reasons why they're so resistant to it. 
But Jesus's words and stories to them over and over and over and over again was welcoming them back into what they thought they had been a part of since the beginning. What is being revealed is not a God who has changed, but the God who is and was and will always be. And who is that God? A God who is triune, a God who is boundless mystery, a God who is Christ-like and in whom there is no unchristlikeness at all. The vocation of the poet, the vocation of Jesus, and the vocation of all of us that would walk in his way is to be aware of the invisible and the visible and to learn little by little to bridge the two, to notice the two, to name the two. Jesus, like all of the prophets, then and now, are glancing from earth to heaven and from heaven to earth and telling stories. And all of us are telling stories. All of us are living stories. And with our stories, with our body, with our healing, with our life, we are bodying forth the form of things previously unknown. This is the line from Theseus. And as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to Airy nothing, a local habitation and a name. Or for us today, and as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the Messiah's words, turn them to shape and gives to God a local habitation, a body and a name, which is Christ. And so, the question I would offer to you this morning is, what is being given a local habitation and name in you? I'm struck by two things in the story that Jesus tells this morning. The first is that God is a God who plants, not builds. That feels important and different to me. God is a God who plants and not builds. Jesus offers us the image of a God who is compassionate, who does in the story what is the responsibility of the servants to do. The servants traditionally build the wall and the watchtower, dig the wine press. But in this story, it's God, a compassionate gardener who does. There's immense care and intentionality that plays out slowly when someone plants a vineyard. I've never planted a vineyard before, but I can't imagine it's a quick weekend DIY project. There's immense care and intentionality that plays out over time, slowly. And it is no small task. It is expanding and changing and growing. And it's growing life that takes root. Jesus offers to us an image of God, of a God who tends with great care for not only the place, but the people. God who is the one who plants the vineyard, who sets a hedge around it, who digs the wine press, builds a watchtower. There is little left for the tenants to do other than to live into and care for what they've been given. Sure, there's pressure on the tenants, but it's not the pressure of creation. It's one of stewardship. Jesus offers us a God who is a compassionate gardener, but... The second thing that strikes me is that you and I are invited to be more than servants. 
Good stories work at multiple levels, as I think this one does. God plants a vineyard, but what does every vineyard need? A vine. If there ain't no vines, there ain't a vineyard. It's kind of in the name. Welcome to my vineyard. There's no vines. I don't think you have a vineyard. I think you have land. There's some vines over there. I mean, it's ivy. So maybe. God plants a vineyard, and every vineyard has a vine. And what is that vine? I don't have to go very far. Jesus himself will tell you. Jesus will say, I am the vine, and you are the branches. You that abide in me, make your home in me, will find that I have made my home in you. You who rest in me will find that I am already at rest in you. Because without me, you can do nothing. And that's good news. God is not planting with care and with intentionality an institution or a doctrine, but a community. A community of beloved persons. People who are not looking on from afar, but have been welcomed in, planted, blessed, and who are invited to, like the landowner, pour out the wine of their life, which is God's life. I thought to end this morning as both a way of reflecting, but also as prayer. It feels right to end with a poem. It's actually a sonnet, and it's from the poet whose class I took, Malcolm Geit, from his collection, reflecting on the sayings and stories and parables of Jesus. And it's his reflection on Jesus' words to us that we are, if we'd like to be one with the vine. How might it feel to be a part of the vine? Not just to see the vineyard from afar or even pluck the clusters, press the wine, but to be grafted in. To feel the stir of inward sap that rises from our root. Himself deep planted in the ground of love. To feel a leaf unfold a tender shoot. As tendrils curled unfurl, as branches give a little to the swelling of the grape. In gradual perfection, round and full, to bear within oneself the joy and hope of God's good vintage till it's ripe and whole. What might it mean to bide and to abide in such rich love as makes the poor heart glad? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.